The 20-page rule was created by the writer Mark Billingham. It is the appropriate response to dull when you're reading any book. The rule says that if you're not gripped by the book that you're reading within 20 pages, you should stop reading it and throw it angrily across the room. Now, we might quibble with the 20 pages. That seems very 1995 in a world where a quarter of Spotify listeners hit the skip button within five seconds and TikTok even less than that. 20 pages you might reasonably feel is actually showing the patience of a saint. And maybe so. But what I'd really like to focus on here is the word angry, because I second that emotion. That absolutely seems like an appropriate response to me. I think we all ought to be a lot more angry about dull than we actually are. Dull is a waste of our time, a waste of our collective talents, and a waste of the opportunity to really engage the people around us with an important topic. And for too many of us, it's everywhere in our business lives. And just putting aside for the moment our real focus here on how dull most brands and marketing are, I'd just like you to briefly imagine what it would be like if we were tomorrow to show a similar kind of response to the 20-page rule if we were sitting on the wrong side of a dull presentation at work. What should we give it? Ten slides? Six? Let's give it six. Let's call it the six-slide rule. The six-slide rule we've just invented together says that if after six slides the presenter hasn't made this interesting and compelling for us, the appropriate response is to get up and storm angrily out of the room. How many times should you have done that in the last two weeks? How many times will you want to do it tomorrow? And if we all did that, if we all showed much less tolerance for dull, would the business world be a better or worse place? This overall question about the appropriate response to dull isn't intended to be a rhetorical question. It's a very real and vitally important one. I think we're all vastly underestimating how dull we are being in marketing and business and how expensive it is for us to be that dull, internally and externally, dull with our customers and dull with our colleagues. Look around you. Dull is the big beige elephant in the marketing and business room. I've been in the brand and communications business for 40 years now. And for all that we've learned over that time from brilliant thinkers and fascinating data about how marketing effectiveness really works, the reality is that 90% of marketing, communications and brands are as dull as they ever were. 95% more. Festivals like Can Lions are complete anomalies, a fire at which we warm our hands and briefly turn our backs against the ubiquitous permafrost of mediocrity and pretend for a moment it's not as pervasive as it really is. So why are we all ignoring dull in the way that we are? And why does it really matter? I'm Adam Morgan, and this is Let's Make This More Interesting, a podcast from Eat Big Fish that's going to explore this question, along with the equally important one of what we can do about it. How are we going to make the things that really matter more interesting to those we need to engage? And my starting hypothesis here was that there are three reasons for the pervasive dullness in business and marketing, and this is what the series should focus on. The first is we don't realise how expensive dull really is, what it's really costing us. The second is we don't realise that we're being dull because we're setting the bar too low for what is dull and what is interesting. And third, even if we do realise that we're being dull, we don't really know what to do about it. So let's just start with that first point, just how expensive is dull? I'm going to argue that dull is expensive commercially because you have to put so much more effort and money to land a dull message than an interesting one. And dull is expensive consequentially because dull is also excluding. In Stephen Gross's book, The Examined Life, there's a fascinating chapter in it where, as a psychoanalyst, he's treating a patient who's very boring. And the patient is so boring that the analyst himself, Stephen Gross, 
finds he's getting bored in the sessions, <laughs> which is clearly not a good sign. And then Gross realises that the patient is using being boring as a strategy to deliberately shut other people out, that he's setting out to exclude people and dull is his way of doing it. I'm really struck by those two related thoughts about the cost of dull and their implications for businesses and brands. Certainly externally, their implications for how we're wasting money and excluding consumers who would, could or should benefit from what we have to say and offer, but also for internal audiences, for our colleagues. If we are being dull internally, are we in effect therefore denying ourselves and our colleagues the ability to succeed? Maybe not in every meeting, in every conversation, but when it really matters. Because dull is the opposite of inclusive here. So surely then, I thought, the first thing we have to do is make dull itself more interesting to more of us. Dull is, well, just too dull at the moment. And perhaps the best way to make dull much, much more interesting is to see if we can put an exact cost on it. If we knew exactly how expensive it was for us to be dull, how many millions of pounds, dollars or euros it was costing us a year, then would we really go on behaving in the same way? So I asked one of the world's leading experts on communications effectiveness if it could be done. Peter Field has, with Les Binet, done some of the most important and influential analysis on how marketing communication works for the last 40 years, based on an econometrically argued body of over a thousand marketing cases. And Peter and I discussed if it would be possible to put an exact cost on being dull, and he's about to share some initial work against this. Now, I should emphasize that we're still in the foothills of this project and we're looking around for further collaboration with data owners to play it out more fully. But let's just hear what Peter found based on his initial analysis. So, Peter, is it possible to put an exact cost on dull? What, what are the headlines here? Uh, well, we certainly can put a cost on dull. How exact it is, of course, depends on a number of factors that we'll talk about. But um, we've done that. We know that it is many millions of pounds. We'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But it depends on a lot of factors. We can we can look, for instance, at how it varies depending on which category you're in. Um, and we could even go on and look at how it varies depending on the nature of the brand. So there is a lot of work to be done. Uh, but we know we can put numbers to all of this. Um, Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, so so talk us through it a bit. So tell us about the data a bit first. So we're working here with the UK IPA effectiveness data. It's the data that accompanies you know about twelve hundred case studies of effectiveness uh, in the UK IPA effectiveness awards scheme. And what it enables us to do is to examine how inputs such as budgets and creative approaches influence outcomes such as business effectiveness. So from the point of view of this particular project, what we can do is look at the kinds of campaigns that we would regard as dull and see how hard they work and compare those with the kinds of campaign that we would regard as not dull, as very uh, interesting in one way or another, and see what the actual cost in terms of the amount of money you have to put behind those dull campaigns is to match the performance of the fame, cam cam fame campaigns, these very interesting campaigns. And we can do that with quite a bit of precision. So for definitions here, at the extreme end, we can compare what I call dull campaigns in the sense of they're all about information. 
They're telling us facts to try and convince us to buy. And at the extreme end, we can compare those with the emotional campaigns that I refer to as fame campaigns, which are ones that don't just make us like the brand, but make us want to kind of share that, talk about it and so on. And we know that less less um, exotic emotional campaigns kind of fall halfway between these two extremes. So the kind of costs we'll be talking about um, would be perhaps uh, halfway between the two. So there is more work to be done on this kind of middle ground. But for the purposes of kicking this project off, let's look at the extremes so we know what is in play, if you like, between the dull and the non-dull. And what we have known for many years is that the case studies in this effectiveness database that pursue dull advertising have had immensely larger budgets than the ones that were not dull. And that's been growing over the years. Now, that's to the extent of 11 points of share of voice at the moment in this database. 11 points, that's huge. It equates to over £15 million extra budget across all the dull campaigns compared to these uh, high-flying campaigns. So let's just, 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 just scratch. So in. just so I'm saying, so it takes 11 points extra in terms of excess share of voice to have the same impact with a dull campaign as an interesting one. Uh, no, we'll come on to okay. that for the moment. That's a, that's a subtlety. What I'm saying is that at the moment, if we just look at the campaigns in the IPA database, um, because you could ask the question, uh, why are dull campaigns even in an effectiveness <laughs> database? I mean, they shouldn't be there. And I've always been perplexed by this. Um, they've, they've reduced in number over the years, but they're still there. They're about 10% of case studies. And the answer, the reason they're in there is not because the campaigns are great or the thinking is great. It's because they have an enormous amount of money behind them. It's right. no more complex than that. You can buy success if you've got deep pockets. And that's what these campaigns are doing. They're relying on money, which of course is an increasingly rare commodity in the world of marketing. And the extent to which these campaigns are relying on money is currently to the tune of around about £15 million per campaign. Right. So those, those are enormous businesses that can afford to be dull. Exactly. And they, okay. are, they are actively at the moment spending on average that much more than the campaigns that are not dull. <laughs> Now the the big the bigger most, the more important question is the one you've just you've just posed, Adam, which is, yeah, but what would the dull campaigns have to spend to match the performance of the more exciting, uh, the more high performing campaigns? And the answer to that is around about ten million pounds per annum. That is the actual cost of trying to match the performance of well thought out, very creative very popular advertising that kind of drives these fame effects 10 million pounds that's what that's what's that's what that's what it's costing um to be dull so they have to spend 10 million pounds more than somebody producing an interesting campaign to have the same effect if you exactly if you have dull advertising it's gonna cost 10 million pounds of extra budget to get it up there to the same performance as exciting advertising. And the reason for that is that these dull campaigns just don't work very hard. I mean, yeah, sure they work. We're not saying they're ineffective. It's just they do not work very hard. And you get a much, much bigger performance out of these more exciting campaigns. It can be six or seven times greater um, for every uh, euro, dollar or pound you put behind them. And you, and you indicated so this, this varied a bit by category. Tell, tell us how and why that is. Well, some 
categories obviously share of voice is more expensive to come by um, some of the bigger categories so in particular retail and durables they are very very uh, costly categories in which to buy share of voice so if you're in that business of having to buy performance in retail and durables the number is going to be closer to 20 million pounds per annum to make up this shortfall between dull and interesting advertising so look, it's a big, big problem. And if you were to gross this up to the economy as a whole, which will be a, a later stage in this project, it's certainly going to be hundreds of millions and it may even creep into the billions in terms of the, the cost to businesses. I mean, marketing community is a very smart community. You've stood in real and virtual rooms talking to a lot of these marketers who've wanted to be more effective. They're bright people. They have very good intentions. But... Clearly, you know, what we're seeing is, you know, the road to tedium is paved with good intentions. What do you see as the reasons why, in spite of all those good intentions, in spite of all that intelligence, people are ending up being dull in this way? Absolutely right. Good, good observations. And I have had this conversation with many clients. And, and, you know, as you say, most of them don't want to be dull. It's not in their interest to be dull. They know that they could be doing things that are better. Often they're constrained by metrics, uh, the metrics they have to work by, which are corporate kind of decisions, which kind of push you to dull because they're all about safety and they're about, you know, not, not taking risks generally. Sometimes it's that the categories they operate in are permeated with dull advertising and so it kind of becomes a norm and so it would take a very brave marketer to say look you know what I'm going to step outside so I'm going to do the kind of advertising that nobody does in this category yeah. of course that would be a brilliant opportunity for exactly. them but it does take a lot of uh, it's a big risk um, and for many marketers it may just on a personal level not seem uh, worth taking um, and then there is another kind of bigger issue, which I think is a more worrying one, which is worth talking about here, which is that we've had at least 15, getting on 20 years now of what I call performance marketing think. And what we've had is models of effectiveness in performance marketing that drive short-term bottom of funnel sales, no doubt about that. But we've been increasingly applying those to top of funnel brand building and the right. nature of brands and they simply don't work at that level so these are about serving those bits of information that assuming we're interested in a brand will nudge us over the line a purchase line and they could be bits of information facts about the brand i know deals offers all of that kind of stuff but these don't build brands very strongly and they are not the way to create these kind of high profile really effective advertising that drives maximum long-term growth. And we've seen that kind of thinking permeate through the advertising kind of ecosystem, the creative approaches it leads to increasingly appearing in the kind of brand advertising where they simply shouldn't be there. That kind of in-your-face, heavy-sell, benefit-focused, shouting kind of advertising that just just doesn't cut it in terms of long-term powerful brands. So fascinating start to this project about the cost of dull. What what happens next? What what kinds of collaboration, what kinds of further data, what do you want to look for now that'll help kind of deepen our understanding of what's going on here? Well, in part, this is a call for a collaboration from others with data, um, because I think what we'd love to do is to be able to enrich the data we're looking at, particularly when it comes to the issue of defining 
dull and different levels of dull. And I've just been taking extremes. We need to look at the area in the middle, which is about various levels of safety. We know there is a real cost in being safe. It's not as, as extreme as um, the ones we've just been talking about, but it's likely to be certainly half that, because that is what the uh, rough data that I've got at his is got is suggesting. But we need to really um, work out, you know, how you define where you are on that spectrum from super dull to super interesting and to try and put some numbers to the level of cost you get at those different um, levels. Um, and I think we can do that by bringing together different data sources, whether it's to do with emotional responses to advertising and coupling that with the kind of in detailed in-market performance data that we've got with this data. There's various ways we'll do it, but it's going to need um, interesting perspectives, interesting data. Um, and we, you know, we want people to collaborate on this as, as we go forward, because this is a really, really important challenge, I think, facing marketers right now. Peter, thank you. Um, really, really stimulating project. And um, we'll come back at the end of, of the final podcast and, and see where we've got to. If you're interested in seeing a bit more of the initial analysis, Peter's generously shared his data with us. And you can find some of his key slides in the podcast description. And over the next 10 weeks, we're going to go on working on it and we'll share with you in the final episode the further progress that we've made. And as he says, we're kind of looking for collaborators, really. If you or your business have data that you're open to sharing with us on the project, particularly data outside the UK, we'd love to hear from you. Our emails are in the podcast description as well. What initially seemed a fascinating, but I thought potentially impossible idea is starting to seem much more possible than I thought. And I think the implications of that in terms of raising awareness around the cost of dullness might be a really powerful wake-up call for our brands and businesses. But Peter also raised an important cultural perspective on why marketers with perfectly good intentions might be dull, didn't he? Safety. My logical little triad of, we don't know how expensive it is, we don't know what dull is, we don't know what to do with it, while a useful organising structure was way too simplistic. It really missed out on the cultural crosswinds that can make us cautious about trying to be more interesting. A very human desire to play safe and avoid risk on behalf of the business, on behalf of ourselves. Though if it turns out, of course, to be that much more expensive to play safe, you have to ask yourself if we really are acting in the best interests of our business and brand to do so. But dull can also come, Peter noted, from using the wrong marketing model. And one of our guests later in the series adds a further potential factor. We're simply setting the wrong bar for what dull is. We're using our own internal bar, our internal assessment of what is interesting, what is dull when we should be understanding what the real bar in the outside world is with our colleagues, with our consumers, because actually it's much higher than we think. So what do we do about this? Well, as we look to learn how to make our brands and our businesses and, and how we communicate externally and internally more interesting, we're going to set out to talk to two kinds of people in the episodes ahead. The first kind of people are those outside marketing whose job it is to make potentially dull subjects interesting for their audience. People in situations where the stakes are so high, they can't afford to be dull. The reality TV producer needing to keep that big time audience interested in watching for the next 20 seconds, and then the next 20 seconds, and then the next. The head writer of Sesame Street looking to fundamentally transform the long-term educational attainment of disadvantaged preschool children by interesting them for the first time in letters and counting. The science teacher, who has an hour to get a 12-year-old entirely uninterested in covalent bonding, interested enough 
not just to understand it, but to remember it next summer when the exam comes round. And these are people who absolutely understand, through very different lenses, what it takes to engage and hold the audience's attention, which is how we'll define interesting. The ability to create sustained engagement. That's the ambition we're setting ourselves. And we'll include in the interviews a handful of fascinating marketers along the way. Challengers who wanted to make an impact on a dull category or situation. And we'll see why they felt they had to do that and what it led them to do. And indeed, what their experiences and learnings have in common with that first group. Because the overall ambition throughout the series is to create something that you will find useful and be able to use yourself. In each episode, we're going to look to draw out ways of seeing or ways of doing. Ways of seeing are perspectives that will help us become more attuned to what dull really looks like in our world and the kinds of mindset we'll need to embody to push past it. And ways of doing are the concrete toolboxes and approaches that we can use ourselves in our daily work and perhaps even in our personal lives. And at the end, in the final episode, we'll pull it all together and see what the commonalities are. Is there one larger set of universal principles that sit above them all about what it takes to be more interesting? Or are there simply a variety of different perspectives and approaches that we can choose from to suit us? And as you ask yourself, is this a podcast for me? I'd like to offer a lens to see it all through. I once interviewed in Johannesburg a writer of industrial theatre called Nick Warren. Industrial theatre is a form of training for miners there, gold miners, diamond miners, to teach them safety information. It's clearly critical information, but landing it with this audience can be very challenging. The audience consists of many different ethnic groups and languages. Some are illiterate, so you can't rely too much on words alone. They're heavily unionised, very suspicious of any communication from the boss. So industrial theatre is a performed drama that brings the information to life in a very engaging way, using music and songs as well as narrative. Struck by the level of theatricality about it, I asked him, was it really necessary to do all of that? And he looked at me very seriously and he said, when it's a matter of life and death, you can't afford to bore the audience. So think of this as a podcast for those moments when you can't afford to bore the audience. You may not need its learnings all the time, and it certainly may not always literally be a matter of life and death, as it was for Nick Warren's miners. But when you really need to take your customer with you, or the meeting room with you, when you can't afford to be dull, that's what this podcast is for. And along the way, our guests will teach us a number of other things as well. How to win a peacock parade, why our dog is a better producer than we are, the two ways to create cognitive overload, how classical rhetoric can make us a better 20th century citizen, and when we should never ask our audience what the best biscuit is. Now, I said the ability to make something more interesting was a skill that was vital for us as marketers and business people, and I believe it is. But it may also be a skill that's more important still for us as global citizens. A journalist was arguing the other day that climate doom is the new climate denial. How, because we're only reading apocalyptic headlines about climate change these days, we're giving up feeling we can change anything. And so we do nothing. Yet, the journalist argued, there are pockets of potentially good news. But unless the media can make them interesting enough to command our attention, they won't create that sense of possibility and the impetus to action that we all need. Being dull when it comes to our ability to influence climate change may genuinely be the death of us all. So if you do think this matters, here are three things you can do tomorrow. One, read Peter's slides. Share Peter's slides with your colleagues. Use them as a stimulus for a conversation with them about 
What is dull really costing me? What is dull really costing us? Two, divide everything you are working on, externally and internally in the next three months, into one of two categories. Category one, stuff where I can afford to bore the audience. And category two, stuff where I can't. How much is in that second pile? And what are you going to do differently about it? And the third thing you can do, of course, is to listen to the next episode, because it's a cracker. Maz Farrelly is a reality TV show producer whose shows have had 8 billion views. She's been at the heart of number one shows on three continents, including Big Brother, Britain's Got Talent and Celebrity Apprentice. She now spends her time helping businesses be more interesting. Here's a little taster of Maz. I have rules for television and my rules are so anyone who is a storyteller, this is 30 years of um, storytelling condensed into a 10 second masterclass. I mean, obviously, it has to have a beginning, middle and end. But you have to make me laugh, make me cry and surprise me. And if you can do those three things, it's a brilliant story. If you can do two, you're good. If you can do one, you're like everyone else. This was Let's Make This More Interesting from Meet Big Fish, a podcast for the moments when you can't afford to bore the audience. I'd like to thank my producer, Ross, and my editor, Ruth, and see you next time.